passed now for uh, several weeks, but I'm reminded of a, uh, a secular Christmas song called Grown Up Christmas List. You may know it uh, years and years ago uh, when I was still uh, in the army bands. We, we performed this song uh, with a choir, with a soloist on some of our Christmas programs. I remember being very moved by uh, a line in that song. It's about, it's, it's the soliloquy by a, uh, uh, presumably a, a woman who remembers going to see Santa Claus when she was a little girl and telling Santa what she wanted for Christmas. Well, now she's an adult and uh, she sees Santa Claus and goes back to Santa with another Christmas list, but this is her grown-up Christmas list. And it's not, she's not asking for a doll or for a hula hoop or something like that. She asks for things like this. No more lives torn apart, that wars would never start, that time would heal all hearts. And then there comes this line, everyone would have a friend. And that line, part of her Christmas list is that everyone would have a friend. It always gripped me, it always moved me because it, it brought out and captured, I think, the, the tragedy of loneliness. Now, there are people in the world, I suppose, who are, are friendless to some extent. And the tragedy of loneliness, the tragedy of friendlessness, and it, it lays emphasis on that human longing that every heart has to have companionship and the sorrow of being alone. Well, the opening phrase of our text tonight, two are better than one, you may have heard that uh, in connection with uh, marriage. You may have even heard that passage read at a wedding. It was read at Hillary's in my wedding. And uh, we connect that idea, two are better than one, with the institution of marriage for obvious reasons. But this passage is not exclusively about marriage. In fact, I think it's not even primarily about marriage. It speaks of the inherent and fundamental benefit of community in contrast with isolation. The benefit of being with others, of having relationship, of having fellowship. And mankind has that need. We as human beings, as men, women, and children made in the image of God, we have a need for companionship. We have a need for fellowship. And that need is universal. No one is excluded. It doesn't even matter whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. You need fellowship. This need is universal because it's how we were designed. It's built into our DNA. God made us this way. Now, in that sense, it can be related, at least in an initial or in a very fundamental way, to marriage. Because remember, God made all the creatures of the earth, and he made Adam, and he was bringing the creatures to Adam, and he named them, and whatever Adam called them, that was their name, and then God makes this statement. It's not good for the man to be alone. And in response to that need, 
Even in the garden, before the fall, when everything was still good, sin hadn't entered the world. The world was not fallen yet. There was no curse. Everything was good, except for the fact that man was alone. And in response to that need, what did God do? He created Eve. Man was alone. Now, God did not have to, he did not have to bring that out or even make that a point of emphasis in the text when he was talking about the creation. He could have left that out. We didn't need to know that except that God wanted us to know it. The scriptures were written for our instruction. So he details the fact that first there was Adam, but Adam was by himself and it wasn't good. Man not only desires, but he needs companionship. And so in the creation context, the solution was he made woman. And so the institution of marriage was introduced. But see, that just speaks of marriage, and it just speaks of the the nuclear family. And the nuclear family and the marriage relationship are simply the most basic building block of larger uh, strata or circles of society. And Scripture provides many other illustrations beyond and in addition to marriage, uh, illustrations of the need for fellowship. So you think of Moses, for example. Moses had a job, and he was unique in his role as the mediator of the Old Covenant. And yet it wasn't good for him to be alone. So God raised up Aaron to assist him and to be his spokesperson. And then perhaps maybe even more appropriately, he later raised up Joshua, and Joshua was Moses' assistant and then eventually became his successor. But Moses wasn't operating all by himself. He wasn't isolated there at the top, so to speak, as the mediator of the Old Covenant. Or you think of um, David and Solomon. You will find passages in the Old Testament that give lists of names of people who served in David's administration and people who served in Solomon's administration. And these lists speak of who was, the, who was the scribe and who was the recorder and who was commander of the army and who did these things within the kingly administrations of David and Solomon. And what always has stuck out to me is There was somebody's name tossed in there, and it says, well, what did he do? What was his role? He was the king's friend. Almost as if that was an official office. And isn't that interesting? Isn't that beautiful? You know, they say it's lonely at the top. But amidst all of his officials, there was somebody who was David. He was the king's friend to David. Somebody that David could just relate to. Somebody, perhaps, who could tell him things he needed to hear that maybe none of his other administrators could do and tell him and say, you know. And Solomon had the same thing. When Jesus sent out his disciples, he could have doubled the amount of geography they covered if he just sent them out by themselves but he deliberately sent them out in pairs he did the same thing when he sent out the 70 Paul commissioned by God called 
directly, immediately by the Lord Jesus Christ to be an apostle, sent to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, but not by himself. When God sent Paul out, he sent with him Barnabas. And then later he sent with him Silas. And we know he even traveled in a larger entourage than that. But the point is, he wasn't by himself. So you could say the buddy system, as we've come to call it. It's biblical. You need a buddy. You need a wingman. You need a shipmate. No one is meant to go it alone. We were fashioned for fellowship. And this passage teaches us that. This passage teaches us that Christ has created us for relationship with one another and with himself. That's what these verses are all about. Christ has created us for relationship with one another and with himself. And I want to talk about that, uh, the, the benefits of relationship that we derive under three headings. Help, comfort, and protection. And that's what verses 10, 11, and 12 talk about. So let's consider those. First of all, help. Remember when God said that it was not good for the man to be alone? He said he was going to make a helper for him. Eve was created to be a help to Adam. Now the specific risk that's described in verse 10 is a fall. Look at me. Look at uh, verse 10 with me again. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. So the specific example is a fall, but you know, falls take many different forms, don't they? A fall could entail some sort of physical accident or mishap, a literal fall, a physical fall. But it could also be expressed as some kind of moral failure. That can be a, that can be a kind of a fall. Any kind of defeat or misfortune in life, we could, we could consider a fall. And when you suffer anything like that, any of the above, it's dreadful to be alone. One of my favorite verses from the book of Micah, it's Micah 7, 8. It says, do not rejoice over me, my enemy, for when I fall, I will arise. And when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. And I think that that verse can apply to a whole range of troubles. In fact, I think it would apply to like a physical fall, least of all. But any kind of fall we suffer, any kind of accident, mishap, moral failure even, any sort of misfortune, if you'll, if you'll permit me to use that term, the Lord is with us through them all. He's with us. He's with you. And a primary means of His mercy and His help in the midst of a fall is the communion of saints. In other words, fellowship. The help that we receive from one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. 
the companionship of other believers. Now that verse goes on to say, woe to him who is alone when he falls. In other words, he has no one else to help. And um, what you see there in verse 10, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another. That's the same wording. It's the exact same wording in the Hebrew as we saw back in verse 8 last time where uh, it speaks of uh, one person who has no other. Remember that guy? He's working and toiling and he's got no one he's saving it up for. He's not deriving any pleasure from it. He's all by himself. He's Ebenezer Scrooge and it's the same phrase there. So this is all in contrast with that. Woe to that person who has no, one, uh, no other. And especially when he falls. This verse speaks to and, and, and shines a spotlight on the basic tragedy of having no one to help. No one to lift, to lift you up after a fall. Falling does take many forms. But the most horrific form of all and that's why we call it this, is the fall. Our first parents sinned, and they brought the whole human race into a state of sin and misery. There's no calamity so irrecoverable as man's fall into sin. It brought upon us God's wrath, upon us God's curse, and we don't have any other help. We don't have any other hope except God's sovereign mercy And that mercy is found in Christ. Christ is the only friend who can lift us up from that fall. And so he is our ultimate helper. And so I say he made us for relationship with one another, but also and ultimately for relationship with himself because he's the one that can help us in that fall. So companionship is for help. Companionship is also for comfort. Look with me again at verse 11. It says again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? So companionship, society, relationship is for purposes of comfort. Now the representative case study in our text in Ecclesiastes is the idea of sleeping in the cold and if two people sleep together in the cold they can help keep warm they can help keep each other warm hillary and i not too long ago watched a movie and it was set in germany during world war world war ii and it uh, followed the the lives of some uh, some impoverished people uh, and as the war dragged on um, and uh, resources became very scarce you had people living in homes that they couldn't heat and it was winter time and in this one scene these two men uh, in order to just survive in order to even be able to get warm enough to sleep at all they had to huddle together to sleep and that's the image that's being painted here and again you can relate it to marriage but but really it it refers to a much more basic Uh, human condition and human need keeping warm more broadly I think it speaks of comfort in general that's what companionship that's what fellowship is for comfort physical comfort emotional comfort 
And these are the kinds of things that are in view in Matthew 25. That's where Jesus describes when he's going to come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And he's going to separate all the people like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he's going to speak to the sheep, the people on his right. And he's going to invite them in to inherit the kingdom of his father. And he'll say, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. He'll say, I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. You know how the rest of that passage goes on, but the point is all of those things are forms of rendering comfort to another person. And when we do that, motivated by love and in the power of the Holy Spirit, rendering comfort to others in that way is evidence of true faith. That's what that point is about. That's what that passage is about. The Greek word for comfort is parakaleo. Para, which means beside or with, and so we get the words such as paramedic or paralegal or parachurch organization. It means next to, side by side. And then kaleo means to call. So parakaleo is the word translated comfort in the New Testament. The Greek word parakaleo is also translated to encourage, to console. And we need these things. We need comfort. We need encouragement. We need consolation, and we cannot get those things in isolation. Someone has to come alongside. And who is our ultimate comforter? Our true and almighty comforter is the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom Christ sent. The verse speaks of people, too, being able to keep warm, whereas one by himself can't. The Holy Spirit warms us, doesn't he? He warms our hearts, our cold, stony hearts. He warms with the love of God, and he creates in us love for God. The Holy Spirit draws near to us and consoles us in our sorrows in ways that we can't even do for each other. The Holy Spirit gives us strength when we're weak. He encourages us. And so we, we get this kind of comfort from one another in our human relationships and we derive comfort from God the Holy Spirit through, uh, through the Spirit. So Christ has created us for relationship and in relationship we find help, we find comfort, but then finally we find protection. Verse 12 makes reference to the threat of a physical attack. And though a man, that would be an enemy, uh, might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And then there's that phrase that you've no doubt heard before, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. That's sort of the conclusion of this 
short passage. You've heard the adage, there's safety in numbers. Well, it's a truism. There really is safety in numbers. You see it with herd animals. If you've got animals out uh, um, in the field, and a predator is drawing near, maybe you've got some wildebeest and here come a lion or two. If they stay together in the herd, there's a measure of safety with the herd. The, the, the animal that ends up getting attacked and, and uh, slaughtered by the, the lion is the one that strays from the herd. Because whether you're talking about animals or whether you're talking about human beings, one that is alone is a much easier target, a much more vulnerable victim than one who has a companion or who has a group. Now, again, at the end of that verse, a threefold cord, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. That passage, perhaps you've heard that associated with marriage. The idea being a man and a woman joined together in marriage are like a twofold cord, and then if a man and a woman joined to Christ, they make a threefold cord, and so that strengthens the marriage. You've maybe heard that said, and I think there's, a, there's an extent to which that is true, and it's very applicable to marriage. Um, it is true, statistically even, that marriages that are centered on Christ are stronger. If you've got a husband and a wife who are both uh, uh, mutually committed to serving the Lord Jesus Christ, mutually committed to his church, the divorce rate among such, in such marriages is significantly lower. I mean, I know that there will be people who will cite statistics that say, oh, the divorce rate in, among Christians is no different than in the rest of the, uh, the population. And among nominal Christians, that's absolutely true. But if you're talking about people, two people who truly love the Lord and are committed to serving Him, the statistics are significantly different. But here too, the meaning is broader. It goes beyond just marriage. The idea of a threefold cord not quickly being broken. It speaks of safety in community. The safety that we derive from being in relationship with others. You know, the idea of taking several cords and, and winding them together <coughs> to make a stronger cord is not a new thing. It's not a modern thing. They knew about it in the ancient world. In the modern world, though, we've, we've kind of ramped it up a little bit, I think. You know, there, I remember a television ad for this kind of um, steel-belted radial tire made by Firestone, it's called the 721. And all the belts, all the steel belts in that tire, they were called, it was called the 721 because each of the strands was um, two cords with seven cords around those two and the whole bundle was wrapped by one, so 721. Um, or I was reading up about um, uh, steel cables, galvanized steel cables and this this one is it's actually seven strands woven together not threefold cord but a sevenfold cord woven together and even every single one of those strands consisted of 19 wires 19 wires per strand and then you've got seven strands and that makes this cable strong able to to support uh, hundreds of pounds 
Well, the principle there is there's strength in numbers. There's strength for you and for me in community. God designed us for community. He designed us for fellowship. He designed us to have relationship. And one of the principal blessings of community is protection. And there's safety in numerous senses in numbers. There's uh, physical safety, but also spiritual safety. We look out for one another. There's accountability. There's people caring for each other, taking note, maybe when a brother or sister is down or struggling or in some kind of spiritual danger. We look out for each other. And that kind of thing can only occur, it can only take place in relationship with others. And God created us for that. And then, of course, our ultimate and our eternal protector is the Good Shepherd. He protects us. And He not only protects us, the Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. He's our King. And as it says in Westminster Shorter Catechism number 26, Christ as our King does what? He rules and defends us. He is our protector. He is our mighty fortress. He's our help and our shield. The Catechism goes on to say that Christ as our King restrains and conquers all of His and our enemies. He is our protector. So God has ordained fellowship for us. He's designed us to need it. He's designed us even to desire it. And He's designed fellowship for all three of these purposes, for help, for comfort, and protection. Our relationships are a blessing from God. By design, God made us for relationship. And there are benefits, there are blessings derived from fellowship with one another that cannot be derived from any other source. We were fashioned for fellowship. And one way God cares for us is by placing us in community. I found this in the ESV expository commentary. Listen to this. These verses reveal that the believing community is designed not for the survival of the fittest, but for the survival of the weakest. The Lord has brought together in different members of the body. He's brought together the different members of the body so that one who has fallen can be lifted up, so that the one who is freezing may be kept warm, and the one who is about to be overpowered can be delivered and come out victorious. The reality is that every Christian will fall down at some point. The ifs of verses 10 through 12 can just as easily be translated as whens. And it is the grace of God that draws believers into a community in which we can bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see, one way God cares for us is by placing us in community. We need relationships on a human level. We need them. But, at our, but our highest purpose, even higher than relationship with one another, is relationship with Him. 
Our first parents had relationship with God, but they lost it through their disobedience. But now we have access to God once again through his only begotten son. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except by me. That broken relationship, our relationship with God that was broken, can be restored, but only by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In union with Christ, we're enabled once again to enjoy God now and for eternity. He created us for relationship with one another and with himself. Let's go to him in prayer now. Father, thank you for creating us. We thank you for the way that you created us. Thank you for creating us to need relationship and for providing that relationship that we need. Thank you for giving us one another. Thank you most of all that you sent your son into the world to save sinners and to repair that broken relationship between us and you. May we glorify and enjoy you now and forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.